You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have enjoyed an episode, then please, please open up Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you think we deserve it, scroll to the bottom, select write a review, and leave us a five-star rating with a review that states where you are from and one aspect of the show that you love. Once you do that, send me a screenshot and I will feature you on a future show and shout you out on my Instagram that has over 10,000 followers. Now let's get to the show with our newest guest. How's it going, guys? My name is Will Holdren. I am the host of the Willpower Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Kyle Rank. And Kyle is a top 2% real estate agent in the country. And he is a team leader for David Green, who is a co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. On top of that, he is a house hacker and investor. So it's an honor to have him on here. So Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Will. Of course, it's my pleasure. So to start off, I kind of go way back into your childhood. So can you kind of talk about your childhood and how it kind of affected you growing up? Yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up in a just a standard, you know, middle class, um, you know, home in Manteca, California, small town. Um, and I was always very entrepreneurial from a young age. I think I got this from my dad. Um, my dad has always been somebody who he he worked in window sales and has always been an entire hard worker, never had a college degree, but always pushed himself to uh, work his way up um, in and be able to provide the best that he can for his family. So from a very young age, um, was instilled with the example and the model of what it's like to to work hard. So um, I've had different little endeavors where I started my own, uh, actually started my own, um, well, before that, I actually started and got a, became a, a newspaper del- delivery boy. And so I did that to earn money when I was you know 12 years old and then essentially got tired of paying the, uh, the newspaper company. And so I went and started my own local community neighborhood uh, uh, newspaper, if you will. And so I did that for a while and then um, just kind of, you know, had a, had a really good positive impact, played a lot of sports growing up, had a lot of positive coaches that were in my life to always kind of teach me to, to work harder and achieve more than, than I thought I could. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's really good to see you had that hard work ethic instilled in you at a young age. You also had that entrepreneurial spirit growing up selling those newspapers, which is really cool to see. So going into your high school years, were you kind of a straight A student or what did that situation kind of look like? Yeah, going into high school, I I wasn't a straight A student. I did enough just to get by. Um, you know, I wasn't one who loved to to just sit and read books. I didn't learn, you know, I didn't quite acquire that love until I got into college. But all throughout high school, for me, it was really about sports, and and basketball was a big part of my life. And so, um, I I was not the most gifted um, naturally and physically, and so I had to to work really really hard. And my goal as a freshman was to be able to make the the varsity team my junior year. And so I kind of had a goal of you know two years out in front of me. And so, 
Um, so I, I put most of my time into spending time in the gym, just working on my ball handling, my shooting, all my skills, going to camps. Um, and then I did, I really just did enough to get by. So it was more of a, a straight B student, got good <laughs> grades, didn't get terrible grades, but uh, good enough to get by and be able to uh, participate in sports. Yeah, I feel that. And I also played basketball and baseball and golf in high school. So I kind of get the sports background of that as well. And it really teaches you to strive to be the best and what it takes to become the best, you know, in order to make like those varsity teams. So after high school, did you end up going to college? I did. Where'd you go to college at? So I, I bounced around to a couple colleges. I continued to kind of follow that basketball love and dream. And so I really went to where I had a chance of playing. So my freshman year, um, just coming out of high school, I was recruited by a small college in Iowa. Um, and they recruited me to play basketball with them. I went out there for one year and played, uh, and then it ended up just being way too cold for me. Uh, being a California boy, I had to go back to uh, California after a year. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I played basketball as well in a small division three college up here. So I, I get where you're coming from with that stuff. So I totally relate that it's, it's really cold too. Um, so what did you major in in college? Did you actually finish your degree then as well or no? I did. So I actually, um, I, I jumped around from college to college. So after that first year, I came back to California, played at a small NAIA school for um, a year after that. Um, I basically walked onto the team and, and made it after a bunch of tryouts. Um, and so during that time, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, for my major, I ended up being uh, majoring in English, which is what I finished my degree with. Um, I finally, what I did was I transferred down to um, Sac State, which is where I graduated from in Sacramento, and um, basically walked away with my English degree. And at that point, I was uh, coaching high school basketball because I, I kind of realized, like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be able to go to the pros or anything like that. And so I <laughs> uh, finished with my degree as an English, always thinking that, okay, my next step is I'll get my English degree and then I'll go coach high school basketball and be a high school English teacher for the rest of my life. Right, right. And so after you graduated, did you end up doing anything with that degree or did you end up going straight into real estate? Yeah, I know. So I kind of jumped around a little bit. So from there, um, I always wanted to be a basketball coach. So I got offered a job to be a um, college women's basketball coach in Southern California. So mm -hmm. I was newly married right out of college. And my wife and I, we actually moved down to Southern California um, to kind of coach uh, college basketball, making about $28,000 a year. So not a lot of money. Uh, started putting my wife through nursing school. We did that for about a year. And then um, basically after a year, my boss, the head coach, ended up getting fired and let go, which meant I got let go, which meant I was without a job. And so what I started doing at that point was trying to find maybe there's some places where I could become an English teacher and, and not ended up not finding many English teacher positions. This was back when, um, right when the recession was just starting to hit and, um, the teachers that were kind of in the arts were actually getting laid off. So there wasn't that many positions for me. And so um, at that point, I actually went to school to get my master's degree um, as a speech language pathologist. Wow. Wow. That's a big jump right there. Yeah. Did you end up going doing anything with that degree then, the speech pathologist? I did. So I became a speech therapist. I worked in the hospitals for about seven or eight years um, after I got that master's degree. And I had um, uh, I worked primarily in the hospital with, um, with, uh, brain injuries, stroke recovery. So I would help a lot of people regain their speaking function and their thinking function, as well as their, um, 
as well as their swallowing function, actually. And I did that for about seven, eight years and then kind of felt like, boy, I'm starting to hit the ceiling. There's not much you know, left for me in this career. And then that's kind of when I started to make the pivot into real estate. So of all things, why did you decide real estate to go into after you made that pivot in your life? Um, you know, the biggest thing was I had seen my um, one of my best friends, David Green. He's the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Um, I had seen his trajectory. He had a similar trajectory to me where he was working in a different job. His profession was um, uh, as a police officer. And I, I'd seen him start to kind of invest in real estate. I'd seen him to start becoming an agent. And um, so he he basically said, like, once he was a full-time real estate agent, he had started to have some success. He said, you got to come and do the same thing. I can see that you're starting to, you know, hit some struggles and some challenges with what you're doing. So you should definitely think about coming and joining me. Wow, okay. So he definitely influenced you into the real estate world then. Yeah, you, could, you probably could say he twisted my arm into coming to work for him. So <laughs> so did you did you start working for him straight away then and after you entered the real estate world kind of thing? Yeah, so I basically started getting my license. So I started, you know, studying, taking all the courses that you need for your state requirement. Um, and that took about six months or so. Um, and then once I got my license, I actually made sure I stayed at my, my W-2 job as a speech therapist. Um, and I actually scaled down to, you know, four days a week, sometimes even three days a week. And while I could work up and in increase my... Um, my real estate job. And so I did that for about two years um, or so, um, where it took me a good, I didn't even get my first sale in real estate for at least 11 months. So it took a while to kind of be able to ramp up and scale up and put myself out there for people to start to see, hey, Kyle's not a speech ther therapist anymore. He's actually a real estate agent. Right. And I think that's a really great point because you did make that hard jump in your life going from one occupation to something that's totally different and a different side of things. And now you got to portray that different type of person, all your friends and family as well. So I think a lot of people struggle with that too, because they're trying to make a change in life, but they don't know how, actually how to tell other people in their life that they're doing these types of things. So how did you kind of make that switch and con convey that new person of you to all the people that are around you? And how are you confident in doing that? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. There was a couple things that I had to do. The first thing was uh, I, I had to kind of adjust my own mindset. Right. Because when you're moving from one profession over to another, there's there's almost somewhat of an identity shift. And right. so um, everybody had known me as Kyle, the speech therapist. And my goal was to convert that. And when I when they think Kyle, the first thing I wanted them to think was real estate. So I had to start actually thinking of myself as a real estate agent. And the only way you do that is you immerse yourself in the culture. And so I was listening to podcasts, going to meetups, talking to other investors, joining masterminds, getting around like-minded people so that I could start to become that real estate person. That was the first thing that I had to do. And then the second thing was really just kind of show that there, you know what, there's actually not much of a difference in terms of what I'm doing. Instead of coaching people on how to speech, speak better and how, how, to, how, I, how I can help them reach their speaking goals or their thinking goals, well, it's the same concept. I've always been Coach Kyle, helping people reach their goals, whether that's in basketball or speech pathology, but now I'm just doing that in real estate as well, helping them reach their financial or real estate goals. Right. Well, I know you as Kyle the Realtor now, so so there you go. There's that there's that shift. That's good. Um, so you're also talking about your mindset, how much of a shift you need to make for your mindset. And I'm sure it also had to be tough going from a nine to five job and getting a steady income to working eleven months, not having a single sale as a realtor, and then finally getting that sale. 
and you're entering more of the entrepreneurial world now where your income is dependent on what you do. So kind of walk me through, like, what was that mindset shift like? And do you ever have any doubts when you're a realtor and you've been doing it for 11 months and nothing has happened? Like, did that ever cross your mind? Like any doubts? Like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of times where um, I've looked at, looked at my life and looking at, at my trajectory as a real estate agent and thought, is this really what I want to do? Right. Um, and there's been a lot of times where it's been very, very tough to be able to get to that point. And a lot of times right on the other side of that challenge and that difficulty is a lot of success. And we just have to figure out how to be resilient and, and push through and actually use failure as an asset and use failure as a learning tool more so than saying, well, I just want to go back to, you know, my nine to five. And so, yeah, I think some of the biggest things that I was faced with was um, I actually left my job officially um, as a W-2. I, I quit on March 13th, 2020. Um, and then that was on a Friday, March 16th, 2020 was the first day that coronavirus hit and all the county shut down here in yeah, California. Please. And so I was faced with this question of like, did I make the right choice? Uh, should I go back and ask my my boss for my job back? Because, right. um, you know, I, I, maybe maybe this was not a good time to leave in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, <laughs> I ended up sticking it out, obviously. And um, I basically told myself from that point, you've got one job, and that is to be the best real estate agent that you can. And so from there, things just kind of took off. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of resilience, especially coming in with COVID and everything happening, everything just shutting down because all the uncertainty, but like, what made you say, okay, I'm sticking with this. I'm not quitting. Like, what was that defining moment for you? We're saying I'm, I'm doing this long-term now. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing was, um, not wanting to go back to, to what I, you know, to the old fashioned nine to five. I just got so tired of pounding that clock on a regular basis and just hitting my limitless potential. And so one thing that I tell everybody is that, um, one of the biggest things that I want to reach in my life is my potential in all areas of my life. And if I was going to sit at that job and yes, it may have been safe. Yes, it may have been secure. Yes, I may have been getting a, you know, a specific income um, that was consistent every single month. But if we if we only judge ourselves by income, we're always going to be unhappy. And so for me, I wasn't reaching my potential in that career. And so a big part was, um, you know, as long as I'm moving towards reaching my potential in all areas of my life, um, it, it 100% beats even the, the difficulties and the challenges that we're going to be faced with. Right. And that that's a huge point as well, that you made the decision based off of happiness, not just money itself. And I think a lot of people they have those rules switched up. They make scary jumps just because of the money or they don't do something just because of the money. But like you said, like it's got to be, it's got to revolve around your happiness because if you're not happy in your life, then no money is going to fix that. And I think that's a huge point you just brought up. Yeah. Especially in real estate, right? Real estate, you may not make any money for two or three years. And so if it's the promise of money, um, or you have income goals, you're not going to, you're not going to make it to that point. Right. And so it has to be other areas of your life, um, that you're focusing on that are going to drive you through those really, really tough times. You're going to get, you know, knocked in the teeth many, many, many times. And so it's, it's not about, you know, the, the income that you're making necessarily, cause that's not what's going to keep you in it. It's the, the promise of you being able to grow from that. Yep. And you got to fall in love with the process, just like you were talking about. So as a realtor, you didn't have a deal until 11 months later. So what was that first deal like? And like, what, what were the emotions that you were feeling after that first deal closed and actually happened? Yeah, totally. So the first deal that I got was actually from an open house. So 
Um, I was, this was back before COVID when you could have open houses. And so, uh, I literally was holding an open house for somebody else. It wasn't even my house. Um, and was sitting there and, and had some people come in and they said, Hey, we're not interested in this house, but we're interested in the house across the street. Uh, so I went and I, I said, Hey, let me find out, see whatever, whatever, what, whatever, whatever kind of information I can find out on this house. So found out information on that house. I was able to get them the keys to go show that house, um, that day. And, uh, they loved it and they said, yeah, we like it. And by the way, we also want to sell our house too. Um, and so it ended up being a buy sell combo, um, wow. all in one day, which was awesome. Wow. Yeah. And that just proves that like, you really don't know what can happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like any day you can get any deal and any person could come into your life and just change it. Just like, you know, you're at the open house and then these two people just approach you. Like that's totally random situations, but they happen. You know what I mean? So you got to keep that persistence up because you've got to have that faith that one day that will happen for you in your life. Yeah. And then that's a really good point because the, um, the, the weekend I'd had several open houses before that with no, you know, no huge success right away. Um, and the weekend before that, I've had a listing presentation. It was for a million dollar property. And here I am thinking, uh, this would be amazing. I thought I went in, I, I, I did a great job on the listing presentation. We had really good rapport. I thought I was going to get it. And then all of a sudden this top name agent in the area come and, and came and just kind of swooped it right from me. And so at that point it, I was faced with the feeling of like, man, I don't even know if I have what it takes. I'm just going to keep getting all this business taken from me. I might yeah. as well just quit. But I hung in there and I stuck with it. And a weekend later, I ended up getting a buy-sell combo for about the same amount that that listing was worth. Um, and I got twice the experience because I got experience on the buy side and on the sell side. And then in addition to that, the cool thing is that listing never ended up selling anyway. So uh, <laughs> the, the million-dollar one. So kind of was a little that's bit of justifying <laughs> for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And after that deal that you made, I'm sure your confidence just went through the roof then and gave you full, full confidence to keep going forward after that, which is crucial. Um, yeah. So now you're a top 2% real estate agent like in the country. So that's really impressive. So what are some of your strategies and techniques that you use in order to become a top 2% agent? Because I know there's a lot of agents out there. I think, the, I think the ratio is that there's three agents per house being sold or something like that. So obviously it's not easy to be a successful agent in today's market. So what are some of your strategies and top tips to be a great agent? Yeah, so I'll, I'll correct you on that. I'm top 2% in my region. So oh, top 2%, no worries. So top 2%, I'm in the top 500 realtors in the greater Sacramento area. Um, but it's the same concept, right? Yeah. And so yeah. um, for us, a big part of it is um, we've got over 15,000 agents in the Sacramento area. And so you have to be able to stand out when you've got so much noise and so much chatter in this space, especially if you're new, especially if you're just getting started. Um, so some of the best things you can do, number one, is network with other like-minded people and focus on building a community and building a tribe. And that's one of the things that I've really focused on since I've started here um, in the greater Sacramento area is getting around other people that have similar types of financial goals as me, and then me showing them that we can actually help you uh, make that a reality. And so focusing on learning what other people want um, and, and, and building that community with people because it's not just one interaction with these types of people. Um, it's going to be multiple interactions and getting to know them. And so my, my number one goal has been to uh, increase my sphere of influence and increase my, uh, my tribe, if you will. And so a lot of the, a lot of the people that I work with um, in real estate have actually become really good friends of mine. 
Right. And networking is crucial in any industry, not just real estate, like you were saying. And it's more about who you know than what you know. And anyone, any person can change your life if you get a really good relationship with them, tap into their mind. And then in the real estate world, you get referrals from that as well. And that's kind of how you grow in that sense. So for people that are just starting out in the real estate world, they're agents, they want to start networking. What do you recommend? How do they go about networking with other people in the real estate world? Yeah, I would start uh, by going to local real estate investing meetups. So just Google meetups in my area. If there aren't any meetups in your area, then start one, right? And start spreading the word of, hey, we're looking for people who um, want to be an investor, who want to learn how to build financial independence through real estate. But it doesn't have to be just investing, right? It could be um, joining the local moms group or a soccer moms group or joining uh, people from your church and, and getting to know people that way. Just going to different groups. It could be a hiking group. It doesn't matter. But becoming the expert in your area and being the facilitator of that group, because if you're a people connector and you're, you're, you're connecting other people, people love that and they're going to see that and you're going to be known as that connector. So when it comes time to buy or sell a house or they know somebody that wants to do that, you're going to be their go to person. Right, right. And for your area specifically, um, what are your what are your main ways of like helping people? So when people are looking for a real estate agent, what are the top things that they should be looking for in an agent? Like, should the agent also be investing as well? Should they have like private money lenders connections, stuff like that, contractor connections? Like, what are some of the things that they people should be looking for in an agent? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we specialize in working with two types of clients. Number one, just regular non-occupied investors. So these are your, for us, these are the investors that are maybe out in the Bay Area. They have high paying tech jobs or they're a physician and they're looking to invest in real estate, but they don't want to invest. It's too expensive to invest in the Bay Area and they don't want to invest out of state because they can't drive by the home. So the next best thing for them is Sacramento because we're a cheaper region and we're also um, a lot more uh, close where they can, you know, by proximity, they can just drive by. Um, mm -hmm. and so absolutely you want to, if, if you're in kind of that investor space, um, or what the other side of it is what we call house hacking, which are people who want to buy a single family residence or a duplex live in one side and rent out the other, that's another option. And so what I recommend to them when they're looking for agents who are doing the same thing, um, is number one, do they have experience in it themselves? right? Number two, do they have the resources, trusted resources they can connect you with, right? What we call the core four, which is your property manager, your, um, your contractor, your lender, and then obviously an agent. And then do they have other vendors? These are people like, um, you know, inspectors or appraisers or handymen. And then a big part of it too is do they have experience in in what you're doing can they show you case studies and, and a track record of helping the other types of people that have done what you've done because at the end of the day you want to make sure that you speak the same language as your real estate agent they can understand what you're saying if they come to you and say hey i want a house hack or i want a burr um, they'll definitely you know make sure that they understand that same language right and that point kind of revolves around the whole networking thing we were talking about earlier. To get that core four people to surround yourself with and hook other people with, you got to be able to network with them. And then that'll in turn bring you more clients as well. Mm -hmm. um, so in your opinion, for people that are want to start investing in real estate, what is the best method? Are you recommending the Burr method, house hacking, FHA loan? Like what would you recommend to start out with? I would say if you do not own a current home, if you don't own your own primary residence, the first and best way to do it is by starting to house hack. 
And the reason is there's there's just so many benefits that you get by um, by making your first house, your primary residence, an investment property, right? Because you can access loans at a better interest rate um, at, at a, and at a lower cost, right? And you can do it with less money, less capital invested. It's also a great way to help you decrease your living expenses. If you got a $2,500 a month mortgage, you can get that down to $1,000 or less, or maybe even cash flow, depending on how many rooms or how many portions of the house you rent out. Um, so that's one of the great ways to, to get started in real estate because it allows you to get um, get your foot in the door and get some experience, but all doing it with a lot less risk. Right. Okay, so let's say, for instance, someone is house hacking and they're living in their house, got a cheap 3.5% down loan, FHA loan on it, and they're running the other parts out of the house. Do you think it's necessary to tell the other people that are renting out that you are the landlord as well, even though you're living there? Or do you think that's going to generate a bad relationship kind of thing? I've seen it both ways. Um, I've seen some people who prefer to keep you know things uh, a little bit private and not necessarily share that information. But I've also seen people who um, are very open about it and they create a um you know a more of a friendly environment i think at the end of the day the key important thing is you want to make sure that you have a really good lease written up right and that you're protected that way and, and you either have a property manager or a, an attorney review it but secondly you want to make sure you have very firm boundaries on what's allowed and what's not to to make sure you're delineating those things up front so um as far as should i tell them i'm the landlord or not i've seen it both ways and i've seen it work out really well both ways so i think it depends on the person and their personality and, and what they want to do with it okay yeah like you said i've, I've heard it both ways as well that's why i just want to see what your opinion was on that specific part. Um, so let's say we are house hacking and we just started the whole process. So how do you go about finding tenants to, to live in the house with you? Like what's that whole process look like for people that are very new to the industry? Yeah. So there's actually um, a few different types of pieces of software that you can use. So roomies.com is one of them. I think that's an app. It's kind of like Tinder for um, for roommates, right? And so that's one of the ways you can do it. Uh, and then there's online places like Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist. Um, and so the, what you want to think is where are my ideal, who are my ideal roommates, right? Um, and then where are they living or where are they congregating? Where are they hanging out? And if they, are they going to be people that are on Facebook Marketplace? Are they going to be elsewhere? And so those are usually the best ways to... Um, to to find your tenants and find the types of tenants that you want to attract okay very interesting okay and now let's say for instance someone does have a house already and then they want to go into investing so what would you recommend what strategy would you recommend going into then yeah so then that the next part i would say depends on what your goals are right so if your goal is to um to amplify your current income in other words let's say you have a w-2 job and you're making sixty thousand a year but you want to increase it to a hundred thousand hundred thousand a year right that means okay i can make forty thousand dollars more in income well you could go buy a lot of properties that it's going to take you a long time to get an extra forty thousand dollars a year or you can amplify that income by kind of doing short-term um projects right so flipping would be an example of that and so if you're going to flip properties, you can make maybe just with one flip, you can make that extra 40000 right there. Um, and so with that additional income that you're making, you can then invest that into long-term assets. And those are properties that are going to get you the, um, the income. So a big part of it depends on what your strategy is. Are you looking for some short-term high amounts of money that you can amplify and increase? Or are you looking for long-term 
properties. And then a big part of it too is depending, do you want to get into rehab projects or not? Or do you just want to be the deal finder? Or do you just want to be the person who just uh, provides the capital? So a big part of it depends on who you are and what your personality is. I work with a lot of physicians who they love their job and they work 60, 70 hours a week at the hospital. The last thing that they want to do is be involved in a heavy rehab project where they have to babysit contractors. So you right. kind of have to ask yourself, what kind of job do I want? Um, or what do I want my role to be in in this investment? Right. I also love what you said about kind of building up that capital first by doing like flips kind of, and then you can get that 40000 And then you can go and put that in some long-term rentals or something like that, which is, I think that's a really great point. So in your personal life, like what kind of investments do you primarily do on top of being an agent? Yeah, so the biggest thing for me is um, we're actually, my wife and I are looking to scale up right now. So we're buying another house hack um, here shortly. We actually ended up selling our home a couple of years ago to pay off all of our student loan debt. So we took all the equity that we had to then go ahead and pour over into um, student loan debt and then save up for uh, another house hack. And so for us, our strategy is going to be house hacking in Sacramento, um, buying primary, or I'm sorry, buying um, just single family investment properties that we can use to build equity over the long term. So in 20 or 30 years, those houses will be worth a lot more than they are today, but then also invest out of state to get some passive income streams. So we're looking at out of state markets because um, California, it's very difficult to cash flow year one or year two. Right, right. And I love what you're talking about with equity. And I think real estate's a really great way or system to build equity on like no other industry out there so for people that don't know like what kind of equity are we talking about here and like how important is it and what does it look like in the real estate world to build up that equity yeah one of my favorite things that uh david and brandon say from the the bigger pockets podcast is that equity um is what brings true wealth whereas cash flow brings freedom right and so if you're somebody that let's say you're tired of your job, you work 40, 50 hours a week, and you make seven grand a month. And you're like, I just I can't I want to get out of this job, I want to quit as soon as I can, then you might be focused more on cash flow, because that brings you the freedom to quit your job if you want. It's not going to make you rich overnight, though, right? And it's not going to make you rich even in a year or two, uh, especially if you're, you know, investing in a, in a low appreciation markets, like somewhere in the Midwest, right? But building equity over time, especially in a coastal market like California, right? You can actually build, we've seen people who just in the last year have increased their net worth by 50, 60, up to a hundred thousand dollars, um, just by owning this asset and paying down the mortgage. And so that's what brings the true wealth over time is that equity and that mortgage pay down. Whereas the cash flow is going to bring you freedom. Right. I, I love what you said about that distinctive difference between the freedom and the building the wealth over time. And like I say in the bigger pocket podcast all the time, like it doesn't take many houses to get you financial freedom because you know, like four, four or three houses can pay off all your bills and then technically you're financially free. And I think that's a huge leverage point. I think a lot of people misconstrue that as well and think that they need like a hundred homes or a huge empire, you know what I mean, to be financially free, which just is not the case. Um, totally. Yeah. The biggest thing I always hear from people is, oh, I want um, X amount of doors and I want $10,000 a month in passive income. Okay, great. Are you thinking about quitting your job? No, I actually love my job. Why do you need the 10,000 in passive income? Why not right. 5,000? Why not 12? You know? Yeah. No, yeah. just depends on their situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I just have one more question for you. So kind of looking into, into the future, where do you kind of see yourself in five years and what are your, some of your main goals that you want to have accomplished? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I think for me in the next five years, I want to continue to build the real estate team that I have here um, in terms of my real estate agent business. So um, was fortunate to be moved up into the top 2% of um, you know this region where I'm at, but um, there's still a lot more market share to be had. There's still a lot more opportunities, a lot more people that I feel like we could be serving. And so um, a big part of that is going to be teaching and growing other agents, people that are um, dedicated to helping us grow so I can see that continue to grow. And then in addition to that, um, for us, it's it's finding more long-term investment properties. And so, you know, hypothetically in five years, we could be at the point where a lot of our businesses are running themselves. Um, and that way I can be spending a lot more time with my, my kids and my wife and uh, traveling the world some more. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that's what it's all about right there. Just that time freedom. Absolutely. Um, so before we hop off, is there anything else you would like to say? And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah. So I would just say whether you're, you're just getting started in real estate as an agent or a real estate investor, um, definitely check out resources like bigger pockets. There's some really good books out there. Continue to listen, obviously to Will's podcast here. Um, and, and I would say, you know, try to find other people that you can, you can be around and you can learn from and be mentored by just to get a feel for the business. It is very, very challenging. It's very hard, but it's a great opportunity to learn who you can be in, in the long run. So if people want to reach out to me, um, I probably hang out the most on Instagram. Um, it's at Kyle Renke, K-Y-L-E-R-E-N-K-E. Also, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, hanging out at a lot of those places as well. All right, guys, there you have it. Kyle Renke, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Will. No way that we go is a one-way street. Nothing that we 